If you happen to come in, since I said hi to everyone, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and happy Easter. Hope you have an awesome day, but I am not, uh, not surprised that you're here. People come to church on Easter. I want us to back up from the story a little bit and ask a question before we start. How did we get here? How is it possible <clears throat> that 12 average guys, some fishermen and some tax gatherers and some tradesmen, how is it possible that those 12 would do this? You've got uh, those who count it. I don't know who do it, but uh, let's pretend they're right. Seven billion people on the planet. Of those who also count, suggest that 2.2 of them use Christianity as a way to define what they believe in. 2.2 Christians. Isn't that amazing? 12 followers of Christ to almost one in three people saying, I love Jesus. Don't know if it's true. I'm just saying that's, that's what they say. You know the answer, don't you? The resurrection. That's how we got here. The resurrection is what probably got you out of bed today and, and brought you to church. Something significant happened this day 2,000 years ago. Um, no event in human history has impacted mankind more than this day. And the central figure of this day is Jesus. I was reading this week a, a, a man who was kind of observing Christ and how potentially average really he was to have this kind of impact in the sense that he, as far as we know, was never recorded to writing a book or any words whatsoever. Nothing's written from Jesus' hand. And yet, more books, more pages, more words have been written about Jesus, subject of Jesus and his gospel than any other subject in the world, and it's not even close. I mean, there's not even a close second. As far as we know, Jesus never wrote a song, never sang a song that is recorded for us, and yet more music, more songs have been recorded, sung for Jesus than any other subject on the planet, and it's not even close. Jesus, as far as we know it, didn't paint, didn't sculpt, and yet there's been more art created for Jesus, the gospel, the story of this crucifixion, resurrection weekend than any other subject matter on the planet. And as far as we know, when he became a man and started to talk to people, he never traveled farther than 90 miles from his home. And yet in every corner of every country, of every place on the planet, there are people who say, I follow Jesus. How did we get here? Well, the answer is not complicated. It's the resurrection. People don't rise from the dead. It should stand out to us because if it doesn't, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, at best, all he is is sincere and kind, maybe. Maybe you would say of him he was wise and he meant well, principled man with lots of character. But if he didn't rise, he's still dead, just just like you're going to die someday, just like our ancestors have died, nothing special, right? And the reality of it is Christianity rises and falls on this one subject alone. If you didn't rise, it's all a waste of time. <clears throat> you understand? In fact, Paul says we should be pitied for what we think about the resurrection if it didn't happen. It's the one single event that validates everything the prophets ever said about the coming Messiah. It's the one thing that validates everything Jesus said about himself, his coming, his intention, his power. It's the one thing that validates every Christian message you've ever heard, any sermon you've ever heard. It's validated because of the truth claims that Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't just a man. He didn't stay dead. In, in fact, no, 
no religious leader in human history ever validated his truth claims by resurrection. <laughs> Only Jesus. Moses, dead. Muhammad, dead. Confucius, dead. Right? <coughs> Buddha, dead. And anybody else people want to follow is either dead or on their way there. Jesus is the only one who rose again. And the evidence is staggering, to be quite fair about the story. There, there is this, I don't know, if I was going to be a fake, if I was going to be a liar, as they, some have accused Jesus of, I wouldn't tell people beforehand what I planned to do. But Jesus did. He predicted that he was going to rise again. This is what Matthew records for us. From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. That's what Jesus said he was going to do. He told everybody. In, fa in fact, I would think that the, the opposition to Jesus would love, love for him to be proved wrong. Volumes would be written about where they found him and where he is and and yet, he predicted it. That's a powerful testimony. The eyewitness account is pretty amazing to me. I mean, the scriptures have hundreds of people that Jesus ran into after he rose from the dead. You have the moment where he appeared to the disciples. He was um, where the mourners were mourning his death. Uh, Jesus appeared to them. He, there is a great story of this, these two men who were in Jerusalem during the, the Good Friday week. And they witnessed this, the crucifixion of Christ. And they're now on their way back to Emmaus. They're walking away. And they are, between each other, kind of lamenting, sort of sad about the story and what happened. And Jesus kind of appears and walks along with them and says, hey, what's, uh, what's the conversation about? What's going on? And these guys' response was, you must be the only man in this entire region to not know what happened in Jerusalem this weekend. And so Jesus begins to explain himself, or this Jesus from, from Moses on, the text tells us. And these men were like moved, like deeply moved in their heart. And they were, it was towards the evening, so they invited him to eat with them, stay with them. Perfect picture. Jesus sits down, takes a loaf of bread, and he breaks it. And they saw him. They were somewhere in proximity or had heard the story of the Last Supper, and they saw the picture. They knew, and he vanished before them. Paul writes this about the magnitude of witnesses. He says, for I deliver to you is of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised and on the third dead in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, i.e., go ask them, Right? even though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, to, as to one untimely born. He appeared even to me, Paul says. Jesus, the risen Lord, showed himself to, to many, many, many people. And some have suggested that somehow the disciples got together and said, let's not let this dream die with Jesus. Let's, let's perpetrate this lie. Well, you, you know, if you've ever tried to have a lie happen in your house, two people can't maintain that right? You're not going to survive the day. 500 people all agreeing to a lie and never, ever turning, ever giving up the story, ever suggesting, ah, we were paid off. It, think about it. Judas was paid to betray. Just think about the offerings to lie. Nobody quit. The story maintained by all these people. The faith of the disciples is a hard one to deny too, isn't it? 
If you, just t- if you take one character out of the story, let's take Peter. I call him the, the apostle with foot and mouth disease. He's the one who, who just doesn't think of himself clearly, right? He's not self-aware. He thinks more of himself than he should. And so when Jesus starts talking prophetically about his death and then his resurrection, Peter says, not on my watch. You're not going anywhere. Death is a bad idea. We're not doing death. And, and so uh, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me. In fact, what Jesus says to Peter is, you're not even going to make it to the day without denying me three times. Do you remember that? And then we kind of fast forward to Peter's life that night. Somewhere in the courtyard, Jesus is being beaten and mocked and ridiculed. Peter can see it. A little girl, 10 years old-ish, walks up and says, aren't you, aren't you one of them? Not me. I mean, the suffering of Jesus at that moment was like he was doing the math. This is going to be my suffering if I don't get away from him. And so in his fear, Jesus, or Peter, denies the Lord. Now, again, fast forward again. After the resurrection, that Peter's gone. Acts 2, Peter is preaching in the middle of the town square, preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Totally unafraid of whatever anybody could do. In fact, if you go through the list of the disciples, every one of them put their life on the line for the resurrection. They all died horrible deaths. Peter upside down. I mean, if you're going to buy a lie, you wouldn't do that, would you? I think it's interesting, too, that the growth of the church is powerful to deny. I mean, that sermon I just mentioned, Peter's sermon, Acts 2, his message is that Jesus has risen. Just the message we're talking about right now. The Bible says that 3,000 people rushed the kingdom of heaven that day. That's amazing. I don't know if they're right. 2.2 billion Christians? I know this. There's 300,000 churches in America, and we're all doing this today because of the resurrection, because of Jesus rising from the dead. That's that's hard to deny, but I, I suppose the one that moves me the most is the fact that people are changed. Transformation happens. You know, like, like people are actually freed from sin. People who have addictions and hurts and pains, things that have happened to them, they have been set free from that stuff. They are no longer identified with their sin. These are people who, who have enemies. They're now brothers. I mean, there's so many stories of what Jesus, the risen Lord, has done for sinners. It's undeniable, right? Like if I just got out of the way and said, okay, we're going to take the next 20 hours and we're all going to tell our story. If you're a Christian and you got up here and told your story and you told it all, There's no way the overwhelming evidence of transformation wouldn't blow your mind. Who does that? People don't transform themselves, and we don't do it to keep the lie of some phony resurrection going. We do it because his resurrection did do something to our sin and did do something to our hearts, right? I I got a chance this week to meet with a pastor. Never met him before, so we were just doing the introductions, and we were doing church talk, whatever that is. And uh, I said, well, tell me, tell me your story. And I swear to you, this is what he said to me. Never had anybody start this way. Well, I was a neo-Nazi white supremacist skinhead. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. And I tried to picture him like, okay, take the hair away and, you know, boots and all that, that look. He said, I hated people. That was what I did. And I was pursued by the law and I was in trouble with this and trouble with that. I was connected to this and connected to that. Of stories that I'd, I'd actually heard from the news. So that was me. Like 12 years ago, Jesus got a hold of me. What does that other than the power of the resurrected Lord? People don't leave stuff like that unless God doesn't change the inside, right? 
The, the evidence of the resurrection is powerful. It's the linchpin issue of life. No other religious leader has broken the power of, of sin or the power of death but Jesus. And by the way, there's no other subject in all the world that draws interest from everybody than the resurrection. You'd start talking about people rising from the dead, agnostics and atheists, religious people, the lost and the confused all sit up and lean in. Is it true? Is it possible? Because that's different than everything, right? Changes the rules. So everyone leans into the story of the resurrection. And here's why. Because it says volumes about who Jesus is. It says he's God. What he claimed to be. I suppose anybody can say I'm God, but as soon as they're dead, kind of it's over. The story's over. I mean, many of those in our modern day, you know, television world where people have claimed things only to die. Jesus claimed to be God, and the resurrection proves that he was God. And just so you know, we understand this, but Paul says it this way. Listen to, listen to the key phrase here. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who is Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God, son of God, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. How is he declared the son of God? By his resurrection. That's what Paul says. It's undeniable. The one and only. Think about it. Before he outlives time, before the beginning, he will never end all wise, all knowing, all loving, holy, right, good and true. He is the hope of men's desires. He's why you got out of bed to come to church today. Jesus is God the Son and the resurrection proves it, right? The resurrection also tells us about God's unbelievable love for us. If you were here Friday night, we were out on the lawn and we took a, a kind of a extended period of time to look at the pain of the cross and the weight of the cross for, for, for our sin. And the reason why the resurrection matters, he rose because his love compelled him to die. And we have to connect these two together. Always connect these two together. In every football game I watch, there's some guy running around with a sign. And it says, John 3, <laughs> you watch football. Um, For God so loved that he gave his one and only son, that who would ever believe in him won't die, won't perish, but live forever. God's love. For God so loved the people that he gave of himself. And this story of the resurrection screams it. He paid for our sins at the cross. He took our punishment. He took what we deserve. His love suffered for us. And the resurrection is, is his final word on his love for us. Is his final word. Because he rose again to give life and freedom that John tells, tells us about in John 3. And if it didn't happen, just so you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, there is no peace that he talks about. There is no abundant life that he promised. There is no um, salvation for anybody. There's no hope of tomorrow without the resurrection, right? I think another thing that the resurrection tells us is about the power of God. We kind of package it together, Satan, sin, and death. Clearly, that's what Jesus' resurrection does. It deals with our sin. La Jesus' last words were what? Do you remember? It is finished. He's referring to that stain, that scar, that debt, that 
that weight of God's wrath, whatever you and I have earned by our lack of obedience to God and submission to God, Jesus took it all on the cross. And he wrapped it all up and said, okay, he's satisfied. It's done. No more charges. Nobody's going to bring them up again. None. Every bit of it's been poured out all on Jesus. And here's the reality of it. The resurrection is proof that that happened. Sin is defeated. Satan's defeated. Satan is described in the Bible as a deceiver and a liar, right? His intention, his goal, very simple, is to undo, get in the way of whatever God wants to do, to thwart the plan and the kingdom of God. My guess, and I, I just am speculating here, that that Good Friday, first Good Friday, when Jesus is on the cross and the nails have pierced his hands and his feet, that Satan's probably going, because he doesn't have all knowledge, right? He's probably going, we win. My plan worked. Whatever God was going to do, we kind of stopped it, right? But Jesus rose again. He, he rose again to defeat Satan. That's what the resurrection tells us. It is, as one writer put it, heaven's victory over Satan, who always wants to thwart the plan of God. It is the victory over death, too. That's what the resurrection means to us. If it wasn't for the resurrection, the last word for everybody is death. There's no hope. Like, if you have a hope one day to be over your sickness, or hope one day to be over your weaknesses, or hope one day to be free of you, or whatever you might be dreaming of, without the resurrection, there is no hope. You're going to die, and that's going to be it. But, but Jesus rose again to give life to people. We do have a future. Amen, church? We one day will be like him. We'll see him like he is. We'll have resurrected bodies free from all this stuff. All the cataclysmic effects of sin are eradicated because of the resurrection. That's what we sing about. That's what makes people who struggle with sin and struggle with sickness and struggle with hurt and pain, that's what makes them worship because we're singing about something that will be ours for certain, Right? That's the truth. There's one last thing I, I want to say that the resurrection screams, and, and I would say it, it screams God's intentions. When Jesus was here, he said a couple things about why he was here. He said that he came to seek and save the lost, right? He, he said that he came to give his life a ransom for many, didn't he? Well, then all of this, all of that, all those claims would be just a pipe dream if he didn't rise from the dead. Every one of us should go buy a bunch of rabbit's feet and get busy. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all you've got at best is, I hope so. Think it'll happen? I don't know. What do you think? Without the resurrection, we are left to our own minds about what's going to happen. But the resurrection says, watch this, it moves it from the I wish, I hope, maybe, to the guaranteed category. Do you understand, church? Every person in here who trusts in Christ have a guaranteed certainty that you will live forever with Jesus. There is no doubt. There is no changing with God. There is an absolute certainty. Amen? Amen. Amen. God came into the world to rescue sinners. Paul said it this way, of whom I'm the worst. I, I would beg to differ. I'm the worst. And every Christian should say it that way. We know our stories. We know our inclinations. We know our tendencies. Everyone should say that Jesus came for me and that, that pile of stuff in my life. And he took care of it at the resurrection. Amen. And that's why we celebrate 
And that's why we sing. It is not odd. I don't know where you go to church. I don't know if you go to church. You might say, church is weird because they sing all these songs. And that's what people do who've been set free. That's a way for people to get together on time and say something about God. Where it doesn't sound like chaos, it's together a loud noise to celebrate, watch, the resurrected Lord and the reigning King of glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus, Savior, our Lord and our King, who was fully punished for our sin on the cross, but raised to new life, and, and so we get his life. We get that freedom and that joy and that celebration because of the resurrection of Jesus. There are so many people here today, God, from all sorts of different places in their life. Some who've been hurt so bad they can't even, can't even start to think about you and what you offer. My prayer is that maybe uh, just a, a thought about the resurrection would make them pause. I, I pray for us, the church, that we wouldn't be so arrogant as to be so familiar with the story that we don't respond appropriately to Jesus. So God, we are here today because you did die and you rose again and you gave us life and we love you. We worship you, we honor you, we glorify your name. Amen.